Mark Alston um, has extensive experience in investigations, which com he commenced as a federal agent in the Australian Federal Police, and he was responsible for investigating organised crime and large-scale drug and fraud offences. Since then, Mark has worked for a diverse range of organisations, including BHP, Rio Tinto, McMahon Holdings, CQMS Razor and Mitchell Services. His role responsibilities have included incident investigations, risk management, safety and auditing. Um, Mark has utilised root cause analysis methods, including Taproot and ICAM, five wise and essential factors to investigate workplace incidences over the last 10 years. And Mark has developed and implemented systems of work to manage incident reporting and investigation requirements, as well as the training of operational personnel and safety professionals in investigation methodology. So um, without any more delay, over to you, Mark. Thank you. Thanks, Sarah. Uh, that's quite a mouthful there for you to have to read out first thing. Sorry about that. Um, thanks, everyone, for joining in. And I hope everyone is um, looking after themselves in this quite difficult time um, that we're all facing. And um, I hope you're just keeping in touch with the people that you care with. Uh, so thanks for taking time out to join me today. I really appreciate it. I want to just make a verbal, uh, make a bit of a note. Um, I do have... Um, several uh, um, listeners that have come in from uh, overseas. The, the main context um, of my, uh, of the, the alternative approach I'm gonna put is sort of Australia and New Zealand based, but you know, it's, it's worth thinking about that concept in your country, uh, even though it's might not quite fit with you. So um, with, with your approach in your country, but um, please by all means have a, have a bit of a think about it. So, Recently, I posted on LinkedIn about a, um, a truck incident that happened at a mine over in West Australia. And basically, um, I asked for some feedback on incident classification, what would people would incident, uh, classify it as. Now, there was a, a single fitter working by themselves up in the truck. Um, it was an autonomous haul truck and he was doing some servicing on it and um, activated it and ran over his own ute. Um, and I, and I, Got a, and I asked what how people would classify it because I've, I've noticed there's this issue with classification and I got a whole heap of comments. So it was like 20 25,000 views or something ridiculous, um, over 80 comments and a lot of it um, was quite interesting. So, you know, there was a lot of these sort of things classified as high severity as it could have led to a fatality, um, significant incident, um, probably damage with a actual classification, potential of fatal, um, significant incident, potential loss of life, and the actual asset damage. Um, ICAM has to be done no matter what. Um, treat the incident as catastrophic could have been could have been a casualty, um, but just property damage. Um, so I, and there was a whole range of conflict over how we would classify this, um, and. My personal point of view is that there was um, it's, it's just one possible normal work that's worth understanding. Um, and the other one is, it's very interesting. So regardless of the classification, there is much to learn here. So under traditional methods, there'd be a, a whole range, 90% of people would, would have classified this as a, as a, as a significant type or significant near miss or however your organisation classifies. Um, but if we're really to have a look at it, 
Um, the only person that was anywhere near there was the fitter who himself was in the cab. So, you know, was there a potential for a fatality when the person, the only person around is the person in the cab? You know, that's going to be debatable um, and maybe too many what ifs away. But it did point to a fact that there's some real issues around understanding of classifications and from what I've seen in the past, um, the issues that leads to. Let's have a look at another scenario. So this happened, um, I think it was late last year, early this year, so over WA. So an operator was sending a truck letter um, when the handrail failed. Um, they fell to the ground, one and a half metres, sustained arm and leg fractures um, uh, from that incident. Um, this was an operator just walking along on a normal platform. Um, they tripped, basically they tripped over their own feet. There was nothing that caused them to fall down except um, uh, a little bit of clumsiness. So they weren't, they weren't fatigued, there was no trip hazards, there was nothing there, they weren't carrying anything. They fell to the ground. They actually did damage themselves, unfortunately, quite poorly. They're fine now. Um, I've actually met the person involved there and they're quite fine now. Um, but they did sustain some significant injuries. There's some wrist and rib fractures. Um, so the one on the left was a lost time injury. Um, and the one on the right was a medically treated injury. Um, also, it was also classified as a, as a, as a um, restricted work injury as well. Now, if we had a look at that, they both going to get the they both ended up with the same level of investigation. They're both I can't. Um, both of them were I can't. And the issue I have with that is that the one on the left, massive amount of learning that could be that it could occur there. Heaps that could you could learn there's so much about the issue about the, the ladder failing and all that sort of stuff. And there's heaps there. The one on the right where's your potential for learning? So, you know, and in nine 99 times out of 100, someone falls over like that, they're really probably not going to hurt themselves at all. There's just, you know, the, the very initial investigation would reveal both of those. The initial examination of those events would reveal the one on the left, there's plenty of learning to occur. The one on the right, not so much, very little. Um, to be to be gained by putting things through like an ICAM or Taproot or Blue Line or whatever you want to put it through. So very little to be gained through that style of investigation. Yet most organisations would require this high level investigation. As I said, be it ICAM, be it Taproot. In this case, so ICAM uh, or Taproot or Blue Line or, or root cause analysis or whatever whatever you use. So. Is the, is the investment in that process on the right? And what are you going to get out of it? That's, that, that's, I see that so often. So let's have a little bit of a chat now about our current approach. And we'll, first of all, we'll, we'll talk about actual stuff. So it will, and, and I've restricted this to injuries. Now, most obviously you'll have different consequences based on, on your risk matrix or your risk, risk process within your organisations. Um, you know, you'll have something for damage. Normally it's a figure amount, reputation, uh, environment and so forth. But in, for ease of purpose, I really want to restrict this to injuries principally because, you know, that's where the large majority of organisations are focused within the event, events or incident um, issues. So at the moment, 
this is a typical sort of different escalation of consequences that people are looking at. So, and this is actual. So, you, so you're looking at first aid, escalating, medical treatment, restricted work injury. Sometimes they're flipped around. Sometimes they're together. Lost time, injury, fatality. Now, that is pretty standard amongst uh, a lot of organisations. The issues there, we start to get some different issues that are popping up when we're using this approach. And I guarantee every single uh, person listening and watching today has seen these issues. They're extremely broad. They're extremely broad issue uh, definitions. Um, they have little value in terms of trending and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, like, so medical treatment, someone gets a stitch or someone gets um, a, 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 a massive surgery, same, same thing. You get a stitch or you get massive surgery, it's, it fits in the same category. Um, restricted work injury, you know, some, yes, is it restricted work injuries with, with, um, you know, oh, they can do some of their role, or they can do all of their roles. So they can, you know, there's varying levels of restrictions. So where do we get? They can't, you know, they can't, uh, they can drive a truck, but they can't um, sweep the shop floor. So, you know, where do we end up there? Um, we end up in these situations where the classification becomes more important than patient care. And I can guarantee you if I had video cameras on everyone, they'd be nodding their heads here because they'd have seen it before. You know, how often have we heard of manipulating this data? Oh, you know, hang on, if we, if we, it's not, it won't be a lost time if we can, if we take some procedures to them at home and they can review procedures. Um, or they can sit in the office and they can answer the phones or they can photocopy. Uh, my favourite one, Oz, will stick them in the safety office. I mean, that just drives me nuts. Um, so rather than focus on the actual care, I've actually seen, you know, um, managers walk into hospitals with procedures and ask them to be reviewed. I've seen safety advisors ask for different medication from doctors um, so that it didn't fall within the definition of medical treatment. Oh, hang on, don't give them that strength painkiller because that'll make it a medical treatment injury. Give them, give them uh, you know, over the counter and that makes it a first aid. Um, so rather than focusing on patient care, we're worried about our bloody stats, pardon my language. Um, and statistical manipulation, you know, um, this was my favourite, you know, 29% of all statistics are made up. Um, and uh, it's true. We've seen it time and time again. Uh, and again, I bet you're all nodding your heads on this one as well. Um, although, you know, there'll be people saying, oh, not me, not me. But, you know, um, evidence would suggest that they're... I can't remember the name and don't ask me. Uh, I, can't, I can't quote the paper, but I, but I did see somewhere that they, there was... 32 different ways to manipulate um, injury frequency statistics. Everything from gaming, not reporting, um, you know, the different manipulations I talked about before with like making people work, uh, you know, like what the definition of work even, all those sorts of things. Um, how much time are you spending worried about what, classification, your, your consequences. How much time there? It's really a question worth asking yourself. Drives under reporting. Um, there's no doubt about that. Um, we've all been uh, in situations where we've seen, um, 
when you've reported or uh, someone's hurt themselves and um, it comes in and it's reported and there's an overreaction or a poor response from management. Um, oh, you know, and, and, and managers uh, become uh, angry uh, and, and accusatory or, you know, and not in every organisation, um, it's, a, it's a generalisation, but we've all seen it. And that will drive underreporting. You know, people will not report injuries if they're going to be subjected to the things I've talked about above. And it seems that more care is about the stat than not the stat. Um, and this can be driven by things, and I've seen it in organisations, where managers' bonuses are tied to injury frequency rate targets. It's ridiculous. And then, so they react because they're losing money um, or they react because, you know, we use these, the metrics, metrics around these, these um, classifications drive some of the most appalling behaviour in our industry, uh, in industries, um, in terms of, of patient care, in terms of learning, in terms of um, culture and, and poor culture. Uh, and that we see that time and time again, and it drives underreporting. There's um, um, a large uh, consultancy firm, and when they go in, one of they do um, surveys of the workforce, and time and time again, they survey managers, and managers say, uh, "We've got a great reporting culture. Um, you know, every, they're happy with the reporting culture." But then, when they actually ask the specific question, "Are you aware?" of an incident or injury that has not been reported in the last 12 months, overwhelmingly, the response is yes. Overwhelmingly. Um, I suggest that when you, uh, when you next survey your, your workforce, have that question. In the last 12 months, are you aware of an incident or injury that did, was not reported? And um, that'll give you more, that'll give you more uh, understanding of your reporting culture in your organisation than anything else. And there's this, there's this, we then focus, it drives this absolute focus and resource drain on these high frequency, low consequence events. So we spend a whole heap of time investigating minor injuries, minor injuries um, to a way higher level than we should. So I'm not saying we don't report them, I'm not saying we don't record them. We do need to do both of those things. But in terms of why we classify things, it's to give us a guidance on the level of investigation, level of resources we spend to investigate. And because of this drive on these sort of injury classifications, we tend to focus on these high frequency ones. How many people are dealing with roll fingers, minor injuries to hands? Um, how many people are dealing with those and it takes up an inordinate amount of time um, of their workday de dealing with these things? We don't budget time for incident investigations. It's an add-on. We don't actually go, oh, in my month I need to put out five, or in my month I need to put out five days to make sure I've got that for an injury or for an investigation. We don't budget that. So every time we have an investigation, it takes up crucial resources. And this focus on high frequency, low consequence events is that drain on that sort of thing. So that's like an actual injury. That's that, those injury classifications. Let's look at our near miss approach. I'm oh, sorry. And lastly, they leave poorly safe 
poorly based safety interactions, interventions. Too often, um, you know, I worked in an organisation and, and um, you know, the, they were getting lots of medical treatments. Um, and so they just, oh, I've seen it before, oh, they've had lots of rolled ankles um, leading to medical treatments. So we're going to focus, um, uh, you know, on walking around as an issue for us. Um, but that same organisation <laughs> didn't actually have um, their critical control, so they hadn't identified all their critical risks, their fatal risks, and, had a, and did not have an effective control monitoring program in place. I'll put it to you now, I'd rather someone roll an ankle um, because I've spent my time working on making sure my critical controls are effective than the opposite way around. And I think we'd all agree. So let's look at our significant near miss sort of stuff. Um, and this is typical approach, and um, this is just a five by five matrix um, that we've all seen, and people have different versions of these sorts of things. And we all use the same sort of, it's all the same sort of weeks, it's potential. It's, you know, the terms maximal reasonable consequence are used. Plausible, I've seen worst case scenario, an EMS, significant potential. They're all incredibly subjective, um, subjective things. Um, so let's look at some of the issues that, and, and the behaviours or the, the consequences or the outcomes that this approach delivers us. Um, and again, we use this approach because we want to, we need an escalating method of identifying what to investigate to a higher level and what to sort of just acknowledge and move on, right? I, that's perfectly understandable. But is this approach the best? Is it actually delivering what we need to do? Some of the issues I've seen um, particularly with this approach is it's so poorly understood and applied. We get into the but if someone, but if someone, but if, but if, but if, but if, but if. Right? What if, what if? So for example, the, the BHP, oh, the, the truck one at the, at the uh, it wasn't BHP, sorry, that truck one, it was another company. Um, the mining truck one at the start of the presentation. Um, people saying, but what if there was someone in the LV in the light vehicle, then yeah, it would have been a fatality. Um, but we don't know enough. What if there was never any chance of anyone being in that LV? If there was never any chance of someone being out of LV, is the likely consequence a fatality? Perhaps not. Um, but I see the constant, this is so poorly applied. So the other thing is I've seen is in this approach, is they focus on um, the consequence. So for example, light vehicle rolling over, uh, a heavy vehicle rolling over a truck, but it fails to take the rest of the context in that risk scenario. So if we classify it properly or, or risk assess it properly, our, our risk scenario should have included the details of the, what was happening at the time, the context. So a heavy vehicle feeder, whilst Fixing well, whilst maintaining a truck from the cab of the truck activates the truck that rolls over the light vehicle. That's what we should be looking at. How often has that happened? You know, what are the what are the chances of that happening? And then that's okay. Now that might be, you know, we might start to get there with a maybe a model for that company, a massive international company. That's going to be a minor, right? Because it doesn't happen very often. So maybe unlikely minor. 
but if we add, but then if we have to add the last what if, or but if there was a person in there, then we start to drive it up towards critical as a consequence. Um, I'm not probably explaining this well, but there's lots of times I've just seen this misapplied. It just drives me nuts, and that leads to overclassification. I worked at a uh, uh, in an organisation at one site. Um, admittedly, it was a large site, and in one year at that site. They'd have, they'd have a 270, 70, 270 significant potential incidents in that one year. In that one year. Now, this company, very safe, puts a massive, invest a lot of money in safety. A lot of money in safety. <coughs> they invest a lot. They have critical control monitoring programs, field leadership inspections, audits. They're doing everything they possibly can. They talk about safety as a priority and it is a priority for all of their managers and leadership. But for some reason, they still thought that less than every 48 hours, they were going to kill someone or just about kill someone. Now, that same organisation's incident investigation process said that for all of those 270 events, they needed to have a high level investigation. Now, who's doing those? Who's doing those? It leads to unsustainable workloads. So I question how many of those 270 were genuinely, genuine, significant, like significant near misses or significant potential incidents. I question that. But we end up with unsustainable workloads. And that leads to poor investigation outcomes. So we end up with people, oh, that's okay. We'll run the, the investigation at two o'clock on Thursday afternoon. They invite a few people, you rock up, we throw it. And it's like, okay, you think you're there to uh, plan the investigation and follow the processes that all the major, major ones put out. We're gonna plan it. We're gonna collect our information, evidence. We're going to do interviews and then we'll come back. We'll get all our our work is intended together and we'll throw that up and put it up on a wall and then we'll figure it all out. Oh no, the poor safety person's rocked up or the poor manager or superintendent or whatever, whatever, whatever uh, level in that they are in their organisation has been allocated it, rocks up into the office with all the paperwork and says, okay, I've got it all here, let's go through it. There's no way we're getting anything decent out of that. Because they have, and the thing is, that's where they're driven to because they've got no time. They're spending so much time on these investigations, on these investigations. The concerning thing for me is that the Queensland, um, out of the Brady review, he's just suggested that we uh, have a metric around these near misses, which is just unbelievable. So what happens if we have poor investigation outcomes? We end up with ineffective actions. Um, and I'll bet you if I, you know, in this next bit of, or again, if I, everyone will be nodding their heads, how many of those investigations have you seen across your organisations or others where 90% of those actions are administrative? Um, you know, training, 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 training. Um, or in fact, there will also be, um, you know, disciplinary actions. Oh, we'll blame the worker. We'll blame the worker at CFL. And obviously that leads to more clutter. Uh, we'll write another procedure. We'll add a line into procedure. We'll add a line into procedure. We'll put more admin in place. I'll give you a tip. No one look, the only time people look at a procedures are one of a few. When they're written, when they've done their mandated review, or when there's an incident. They're pretty much not looked at 
anywhere else ever again. If you go out to your work or work, workplace, I challenge you to watch your people working and see how many of them have a piece of paper in their hand with a procedure. And I guarantee you, uh, it'd be very, 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 very few times. So why do we do this? Well, again, the, the, the overarching, the, 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 the thing we tell ourselves is because we need an escalation process for the trigger of investigation. So we want to, we, we want to, you know, we want to not do the deep investigation for the little, little stuff. You know, if someone, someone um, dents a car door or, or, or breaks a window or something like that, if it's not going to hurt anyone um, or it's not going to do too much, we want to, you know, just report it, record it and move on. Um, but why else might we do it? You know, there's a bit of, I think, to me personally, from what I've seen, I think there's a, there's a definite, um, there's a, you know, there's a bit of zero harm in there. You know, we've got a, we've got a, um, everything. So those, those um, high frequency, low consequence events I talk about, especially injuries, you know, we, we can't, you know, no one should get hurt ever. Um, you know, that, I think there's a bit of drive there. Obviously, um, we're, dry, we're driven for metrics. Um, you know, like the, we like to measure things. Um, it sort of leads into um, a couple of other points I've got there in terms of we need it. We have a need to measure. You know, we really want to measure things, um, and that is like a lot of safety people because I think we've actually made this rod for our own back. Um, you know, I think we, you know, we we need to be seen to be producing something as safety professionals. We need something to put in the monthly report. We need something to put into the to the to the board report. We need something to put out in toolbox talks or whatever it may be. We need to be able to show our safety interventions are working. Um, and that's a tenuous link between that um, our safety interventions and and um, our uh, our consequences. A tenuous link at best. <coughs> um, I think there's obvious, obviously there's some contractor client obligations that are that that occur. Um, there's a bit of OSHA because OSHA is down this path. Um, you know, copying of uh, other organisations. Um, I think all these things drive it to do, and it's just the way we've been doing things for a long time now. I don't know if there's too many people are around, all the probably is, um, that were around when these first got brought in, um, these sorts of metrics and classifications and things. Um, maybe their best place to answer answer why they were brought in. Uh, they were brought in well-intentioned. There's no doubt about that. But why do we keep them in? You know, what value is there in these things? That's the question. So I thought I'd have a bit of a look at... Um, oh, sorry. Uh, yeah. So what's our legal regulatory requirement? What do we legally have to, to report and measure? So I thought I'd go into that and, and have a look at what our basics is. What, what do we have to? There's a drive for reducing safety clutter and most organizations are going through some form of process of this where they're looking to reduce the amount of safety clutter or administrative clutter not just safety but all administrative clutter to make things easy and getting back to basics about why we need to do things so let's have a look at that so what does exist well there is an australian standard for workplace injury and disease and recording standard 1885 uh, admittedly, it's um, it's a few years old now, um, 
but it, it does provide some definitions for us. So it does provide a, a definition for lost time injury or disease. Um, so we can even see, so it does provide for um, no lost time injury or disease, near misses, and it, it even separates community, commuting injuries. So it actually gives definitions for those. Um, but what it doesn't give you anything for, it does not provide any definition for a first aid injury, a medically treated injury, or a restricted work injury. That doesn't exist in the Australian standard. Does not exist. I found that very revealing. What other avoiding guidance do we have? Well, there's the uh, Office of Federal Safety Commissioner. So the people that, um, so those people that are, are working with organisations that are working with the Commonwealth Government, um, they have uh, they have guidelines on their reporting guidelines. So to be, you know, if you want accreditation through the Federal Safety Commissioner, um, it does it does provide again um, some some guidance on what you've got to do there, and it does include things. It does define medically treated as well as lost time and fatality. Again, however, it doesn't does not provide definitions over a restricted work injury or a first aid. They, they're not even in in the guiding report. And then obviously we have my favourite and all of you that have you had to put up with this um, OSHA, um, the OSHA record keeping reporting requirements. Um, I've never seen more onerous reporting requirements in all my time, to be quite frank. Um, now, some of our organisations that are in Australia are obligated or to record these things because they're either they're, they're um, owning companies or their structure um, are US based um, and they have definitions for all those ones we've talked about, first aid, medically treated, restricted work, lost time fatality. Um, so they do it. So, you know, if you're stuck with that, you're stuck with that. Um, but that's OSHA. So, but that's only those those companies that are forced to um, to, to go down that path. Um, so they have they, they have quite substantial definitions on OSHA and de defines uh, literally every injury ever. Uh, you'll even find a fractured tooth is considered can uh, is is actually considered a broken bone. If you if you chip a tooth, it's a broken bone according to OSHA. So what else have we got? So we've got statutory requirements in Australia. So in most states, except for Victoria, West Australia, in Australia, we follow the Model Work Health and Safety Bill um, that was developed, and they talk about a notifiable incident. Um, so these apply right through, as I said, to every, every state and territory in Australia, with the exception of Victoria and West Australia. Um, now, Victoria, um, actually, although they say they don't follow the, the model bill, um, the, 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 the section 6, uh, 37, sorry, I'll repeat that, section 37 of their Occupational Health and Safety Act 2004 has extremely similar definitions to these. Um, Western Australia, the regulations 2.4 and 2.5, they're not too far away, um, but there's some definitions there. And actually in New Zealand, um, sections 23, 24 and 25 of the Health, Safety and Work Act 2015 are pretty similar to the model bill in Australia. 
So this was released um, uh, quite some time ago. First came in around 2011 in most jurisdictions. And um, there's continuing work, I think, to get WA and Vic on board, but um, uh, the people over there would be a better place to know where that is. But it does provide these three things. It talks about the death of a person, well, that's a fatality, that's pretty obvious, a serious injury or illness, and a dangerous incident. A dangerous incident is a potential incident, by the way. So let's, can be a potential incident. So let's have a look at those for us now. So if we look at what a serious injury or illness is, and this is similar, this is in all jurisdictions that I mentioned before, um, this is the same. So it talks about this list of serious injuries and illness. So I suggest those of you in your states have a look at it. Um, it's quite clear. There's some very strict processes here, very strict definitions. It's immediate treatment as an inpatient in a hospital or immediate treatment for, and it gives eight quite serious um, definitions um, and also medical treatment for exposure to substance. So you might say, well, Mark, what's a serious head injury? And I'd say that's a very good question. Um, if we go to the uh, Safe Work Australia website, um, you'll find there's an information seat on incident notification. Oh, by the way, I should mention at the end of this, you'll be able to um, download a copy of the slide pack. And I know Sarah will be um, sending out um, uh, the, uh, this copy of this webinar. So if we have a look here, it actually gives some very definitive uh, breaks down these definitions. So we're looking, so I said, mentioned serious head injury. We've got fractured skull, loss of consciousness, blood clot bleeding. So, and everyone can read. Um, it doesn't include a bump to the head resulting in minor contusion or headache. So again, we've got some fairly tight definitions of what these things are. So we can see there that there's quite a, a bit there. Now you may agree with these, you may not agree with these, but this is the only regulatory definition we have of a, of a serious injury that we have in this country. So, uh, and in New Zealand. So I think it's pretty, pretty cool. Um, let's have a look at this one. So this is um, section 37 and it's what is a dangerous incident? So it gives a list of things here. Now, again, some of those will make sense, some of those won't. Um, obviously, people have, working on a specific legislation will have their, theirs as well. So I know that they're in, some, in um, some states across Australia, they work, they've got mining legislation, which actually has different notification requirements, but the principle's the same. But the thing I want to put, I want to really point out here is that there's a real good guidance here for definition of what a serious risk to, a per, to what, a, what, an imminent, what, a, what this sort of is, a dangerous incident. And the thing I liked about it, a serious risk to a person's health or safety emanating from an immediate or imminent exposure. So in other words, someone has to be there. And these things happen and they didn't get hurt, but they could have got hurt. And it's a serious risk to a person's health or safety. So when reading legislation, and look, I'm no lawyer, and, I, and I'd invite you to get legal advice before you listen to me, but I have been around a little bit. Um, and one of the things that lawyers will tell you is you must read um, legislation in its context with its component parts. So for me, a serious risk to a person's health and safety, they're talking about something like this happening. So one of these eight things or nine things that we've got here, 
right, as a result of one of these things. So I think that's that's a really good way of defining a potential a significant potential incident. So that's our regulatory thing. So what I want to talk about now is huh, what what my alternative is. What the alternative is now. This is my alternative. This is my suggestion. You may like it, you may hate it, it may create some discomfort, that's fine. But this is what I'm saying. This is where I'm seeing some, this is where I'd like to see a simplifier. We only have two injury definitions. A serious injury or illness as per the relevant legislation in your jurisdiction. So that might be if you're operating under the WHS, it's that. If you're operating in the mining legislation or oil and gas legislation, that's what you're operating under. The similar parts of that legislation. And every other injury is a non-serious injury. So we have two injury definitions. A near miss definition is as per the dangerous incident definition as per the relevant state legislation again. So we're cutting back. We get rid of first aid, medically treated and all those other ones. It's either a serious injury illness or it's not. Um, and our potential is one of those ones there. All right. Now, if you're looking at trending, now, I'm not saying we don't record or report the other ones. That'd be ridiculous. Of course, we want to report and record the other ones. So some might say, oh, we're going to miss out on the trending. You know, we're going to need that trending or trending. Again, go back to the Australian Standard 1885. Um, it's based on the national data set for compensation, uh, compensation based statistics. It includes things like, you know, location of injury, nature, body location, mechanism, and agency. That's where the meat is. You know, if you want to know what sort of, and that's where the consequence may be, by the way, if that's the sort of, if you want to trend your consequences for injuries, that's where you trend. There's no point, yeah, that's where the meat is. Like you'll get far more out of that than working out, oh, hang on, we've had, you know, 20 first aid injuries and 15 um, medically treated injuries. Oh, let's, you know, there's really, let's have a look at, because this consequence sometime might be luck more than good management. So, if you want to do some training, you can still do it. Use those. Go through the through the Australian Standard 1885 and the and the um, as I said the national data set for compensation based statistics. So how can we use that for triggering our investigation triggers? So what I looked at was this. So we're going to have criteria for a high level investigation. Be a blue line, learning teams, ICAM, Tapri, whatever. It's a serious injury illness or a dangerous incident. So it's one of those two. And, and must, the event must provide an opportunity for the organisational learning. Additionally, a manager in consultation with his stakeholders may elect to utilise a high level investigation if a determination is made that there is an opportunity for organisational learning. It's a framework. It's not black and white. It is subjective, but it should be based on information you have in hand. There's more freedom there. It's not, it's the, 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 the black and white frameworks I've seen um, in, in existence at the moment aren't working. They're driving poor outcomes. This just gives us a different way of doing things in a framework space rather than a direct, you know, trigger action response plan type scenario that quite often organisations are using. So let's go back to our original 
original one, we were, original events we were looking at. So under this thing, under, under this uh, alternative approach, it'd be defined as a serious injury because he actually got surgery. Um, the other one, also a serious injury because um, they, uh, they had to get treatment because inpatient treatment as well in this particular time, they, they were treated as an inpatient in hospital. So, but using that framework, there's a learning opportunity, clearly a learning opportunity for the one on the left, on, on the truck. There is, you know, there's so much that's obvious to learn there. The one on the right, you know, I put no learning opportunity, but I'm doubtful. I'm extremely doubtful that I would want to put the same amount of resources. So I ask you the question rather than me saying it. Would you put the same resources into investigating both of those events? If they both happened within the day of each other at your site or your factory or your floor or your, your workplace, would you put the same resources into investigating both of those? I'd suggest that there's more bang for, dollar, bang for buck in investigating the truck incident than there is investigating someone tripping over their own feet um, that would be uh, that would be my suggestion so you know there's going to be there's some benefits so I think the benefits for this approach is it focuses on the injured person let's get them you know what do they need who's the best person to 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 deliver that care and get that care to them that's a clear approach safety differently right we're going to focus only on the investigations where we, can, we know that we're going to get learning outcomes from that have got benefit for it. Because we're going to reduce that ridiculous workload we put ourselves under in investigating events that don't really um, make a lot of difference to us, we'll have reduced safety clutter. We'll actually have a deeper investigation. Um, you know, we'll get less admin controls and maybe be able to involve more workers in these uh, investigations and, and really narrow down on that normal work and those task-based issues that they're facing every day, not just the day of the event. Because we're not worried about this first aid medical treatment trick work stuff, the, you know, the, the people that are getting hurt aren't going to be seeing that anymore and they won't, you know, they'll be more open to report and talk to us and we'll be, be you know, we'll get better learning. Um, there'll be more accurate reporting. Um, there's, Look, I can't tell you there'll be no risk of manipulating those metrics and those those things, because of course it will. Whenever you put a definition in, someone will find it, and if you're going to measure it, someone will find a way to, to muck around with it. I can't say that, but it, they're pretty tight. So I think it'll be harder and there'll be less less of a desire to do it. Um, obviously, improve use of resources um, and that. Challenges. Uh, well, I'm sure some of you right now are feeling uncomfortable, and I think there's a few questions or points. Um, that'll come up, I haven't looked at yet. Um, there will be discomfort uh, from leaders because we've always done it this way. We've always done it this way. Um, that's what the client wants. Well, what do we measure? How do we measure? Again, go back to the Australian standard. The Australian standard has incident rates. It has uh, other things in there. That's where the guidance is. That's the Australian standard. That, 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 that sets the standard. Why are we putting extra work on ourselves? That's my question to you. Why are we putting out extra work on yourself? So, you know, we peer client, all you can do is try and influence. If that's what they want, that's what they want. If it's a contractual obligation, you know, I understand that. We live in a real world, but this has a legislative backing, whereas, or statutory backing, it has some actual meat behind the classifications, unlike a lot of the other stuff that we've seen. Unlike a lot of it. So, at the end of the day, learning, 
you know, you want to, it's, it's Tom Conklin says, you want to, difference between fixing the right things the first time or fixing the wrong things aggressively and often. How many times have you had repeat incidents, um, poor investigations, poor outcomes, poor actions, and we just keep repeating the same mistake? So I want to try as part of this, and it's not just, this isn't the, the panacea, this isn't um, the thing that's going to cure all our woes with investigation. This is um, just um, one of the one of the tools that may assist um, in uh, in improving it. So it's up to you guys um, out there in the, in the, in operational end. Um, you know, from the matrix, you can take the blue blue pill or red pill. We can keep doing what we're doing and hope for a better result because that's all it's going to be because we're not changing anything. Or you can take the red pill, jump into the matrix, um, and see where it takes you. Um, at the end of the day, what have you got to lose? Uh, you know, I think that going with this approach loses uh, very little, um, but the but the opportunities are quite great. So uh, I encourage you to to take the red pill. Um, lastly, um, that's pretty much it for me. Um, uh, if you visit our website, there'll be there's a PDF version of this slide pack. Um, for everyone, if you um, that can be emailed out, you just have to give me your, give me your email details, um, and we'll email out a copy of this slide pack. And I know Sarah will be posting the webinar on this as well. And I believe uh, that's it. So thank you very much for listening. And um, I think I've got some questions to answer. Well, we have questions and chat. So and the chat looks worthwhile mentioning too. So I'll go through the questions first and then switch to the some of the chat points. That's okay. Yeah. Um, Broya asks punishment and fear of punishment is a barrier to reporting. Imagine how could tripping on their open feet labor will report. I'm trying to focus on safety differently and learning side of it to change perspective of how management see an accident. Yeah. Not sure I understand that. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I, I guess, yeah, this is the punishment and fear um, is a barrier to learning. Uh, people don't report um, things if they, um, if they trip on their own feet. Look, if they trip over their own feet and didn't get hurt, if that person hadn't hurt themselves, there's no way they would have reported that. And like probably nor should they, because um, no one would have been interested. But the fact that they were seriously hurt, I mean, there was no chance for them to report it. So, um, but yeah, like minor incidents getting not reported because of obvious classification stuff. Yeah, I see it too many times. Um, Oven asked, LTIMTI FAR statistics require tendering for work. Thus, company are focused on these measures. I've never seen tenders requiring information on positive indicators. What recommendations can you provide in steering senior management away from negative to positive indicators? Yeah, tenders are tenders are hard, um, and this is the thing. So we need to influence. Um, uh, uh, shout out to a friend of mine, Olivia Ryan, um, who met, we were having a discussion the other day. She's really got to get into um, the super funds and the people running the super funds because that's probably they're the owners of it all. Um, they own the companies. Yeah, it's in terms of um, going positive. So lag indicators uh, or negative indicators, lag indicators, um, they measure the absence of safety, um, not the presence of safety. So we're looking for um, presence of capacity. So things like how effective are our controls? How effective is our training, our inductions? Our, our, how effectively uh, is our equipment? How good is our equipment? Those are the things we should be measuring. 
and that's what advice I would give there. Okay, um, Ryas, um, as my personal learning, is OSHA applicable in Australia as well? Uh, not from a statutory point, um, but as I said, there is, um, as I understand it, there is, um, the companies that are based in the US, have, um, they push that we, that their companies that they have subsidiaries for in Australia uh, meet those requirements from the US, but there's no statutory requirement in Australia for OSHA to comply with OSHA. Okay, uh, Jim has, it's more of a statement. Am I to understand that common sense is back in the WHS landscape? What a breath of fresh air. Thanks, Jim, appreciate that. <laughs> Okay, Mark asks, um, why does the reporting change from an initial MTI to an LTI following an injury? Is this to satisfy RTW obligations for reporting to the regulator insurer? Um, let me think about that for a second. I've just got to work out what you're asking. Um, so, yeah, so workers' comp's completely different. So, you know, like this is that some people get confused, workers' comp classifications confused with other, with actual most organisations internal reporting. Um, an MTI is just a medically treated injury. It can be both an MTI and an LTI, but um, the requirement is you take the higher one, that, which you would, if you're reporting uh, as a classification. So someone who gets medical treatment, uh, but then has to take a day or more off work, um, you would classify it as an LTI, um, even though they've had medical treatment. Um, yeah, so that's, that's how it normally works. Okay, over to the chat. Um, I don't know if you want me to read these out or you want to read them out, Mark. Um, let me see if I can pull it up. Hang on for a second. Oh, chat, Jesus, is a bit of chat. Yeah. Um, okay, I'll start at the very top. Not at the very top, though. <laughs> um, the test of an SOP being if it's not that they have a piece of therapist where they're actually doing the procedure. Yep, agreed. Um, but how accurate are procedures? I'd ask, I'd ask, I'd ask that question, Carolyn. Um, so Carolyn says the test of an SOP being implemented is not that they have a piece of paper, it is whether they are actually doing the procedure. Um, and that's and I agree, but how many of procedures are 100 percent correct and 100 percent complete? And just about uh, no one I know um, does that. Uh, Mark, Rob, valid comment. Greg Smith, 9% of the time, I'm pretty confident organisations only do it because of what clients expect. They would not do any of this if they were left to their own devices. And I wish, yeah, that would be great. Um, and, and, and look, it might, certainly the clients I work with, Greg, um, are certainly like that. They would, they would rather not do that, but they seem to be forced. Um, Greg, again, OSHA is, the US, is in the US context. There is no similar legal crime restraint context. Agreed. Uh, Jason said, so true. Stefan, uh, g'day Stefan, how are you going? Apart from incidents or audit inspection, how do you know they are following that SOP? How do you know it's a good SOP? Um, well, audit inspections, observations, field leadership, learning teams are a fantastic way of finding out if your procedure, your work is intended, it is anywhere near that. And, it, and the advantage of that is you'll get how work is normally done. You'll get the truth in a no blame one. Um, and, uh, that's, and that's the way to go. So yeah, learning teams are, are the best way I know how to, how to, to see if your procedures are any good. 
John Kayala, sorry, John, if I mispronounced that. The true test of adopting change is in the culture of the business and to facilitate the need to change to limit their risk of harm, leadership, and ownership. Yeah, like it. Stefan, uh, again, being a worker in an American-based multinational, I have to report in an OSHA environment. Yeah, I apologies, Stefan, I can't, I can't fix that. Carolyn, restricted work is probably not in the WHS report guide as a comment under the Model Act and we report in line with that. Severity is based on legal descriptions and workability is part of a metadata, but not the descriptor. Thanks for the comment, Carolyn. Mark, Rob, similar because the Model WHA was based on the Vic OHS Act. So Mark, Rob, I'll ask you a question. Why didn't Victoria take it on then if it was based on theirs? Um, and again, John Temby, that NZ, NZ Act was based on Victoria. Thanks, John. Um, Stefan, again, NZ is the same as we took the model bill and enacted it with some difference, appropriate New Zealand. Excellent. Mark, Rob, there is a good, very good guidance document from WorkSafe Vic on definitions for injuries. Um, Carolyn, most states have guidance. Stefan, NZ has some as well. It could be improved for injury classification, although very big, it includes NILIS as well as ICD-11 or ICD-10 coding system. Yep, cool. I think ICD-10 is the current one I'm mostly using. Mark, Rob, a very common sense approach. Carol, it'll only work for those organisations that think there is learning. They assess there is no learning because they stopped as it was a person's fault and the system fails. Excellent point, Carolyn. Excellent point. If your organisation isn't ready to let go of blame and actually want to become a learning organisation, um, you know, as part of that, you know, HRA sort of model, then you're 100% on board, Carolyn. Thank you for that great comment. Uh, Kate Martin, definitely interesting approach, makes a lot of sense. Be interesting to update reporting database to provide parallel method to trial use. Yeah, why not? Carolyn, if tripping over own feet and fell to the ground from a high, why is there not a requirement to ensure adequate assistance to prevent the fall versus hitting the barrier? Um, what system would you put in place, Carolyn, to prevent tripping over your own feet? I did it this morning because uh, I'm clumsy. So not sure what you could do there. Um, but yeah, it'd be interesting to hear back from you. What if the identified root cause on tripping is incorrect PPE shoes, not shoes worn, not necessarily a worker's fault? That's learning. Yeah, there is. But would you need, um, that was from Yovan Otteris. Um, there is, agreed. But do you need a full-on ICAM taproot blue line investigation to learn that? I would suggest probably not. Um, Stacey Haynes, maybe this could also be an opportunity to look into learning outcomes criteria to assist in closing gaps, identifying trends, where leading indicators help. Exciting time, but how is to be experimented with? I'm excited, but how is to be experimented with? I'm excited to apply. Awesome, Stacey, thank you. Gary Marling, thanks. Hey, Gary, how are you going? Uh, just thinking out loud, great approach for small organisations. Large organisers will probably still take the big data approach. And Gary, the, that's okay. But let's look at the, the data that matters. And that's, that gets down to that stuff I was talking about. If you, if you really want to get into the data, let's have a look at mechanism of injury, agency of injury, those things. If you want to look at data, let's look at stuff from the investigations. If we did proper investigations, let's look at that. Let's look at learning teams, the data out of that. Let's process that data rather than pull data out of poorly investigated uh, incidents. Fiona Brown, thank you, very informative. Kenneth, thank you, very informative. Karen, thank you. Uh, James, thank you. Brett, thank you. Um, I'll just keep going now. Thanks everyone for all your kind comments. 
Um, Roya, tapping over the feet, people may need medical sensory examination as a miscommunication with muscle nerves, okay. Um, as, a contra our con as a contractor, this is from Jason, I think it's Jason first probably. Um, yep, our, as a contractor, our contract said when tendering the tenders themselves, tell us what we need to monitor. We don't really get a choice, but I agree with your presentation and focus on what we can learn. So Jason, what we can do is we can start influencing our clients and that's what we need to do. We can say, this is, so basically I'll work with um, clients and they'll have one set of internal books and this is how they measure everything. Um, and this is what they do. And then the other, the other half is, um, this is what they present to just clients that, that need it and they don't communicate that with the rest of the business. And they tell the client that and they tell them why. And, and they have been successful in influencing it. Um, and a lot of, lot of thanks there. Thank you very much for all the thank yous. Um, Carolyn Moore was looking at the example you put up on screen, looked like a fall from height. For that example, the thought regardless of how person fell, there needed to be some environment, assessment of the environment that allowed them to fall from a height. Just curious for the scenario to pick it. Um, look, Carolyn, I just picked a scenario that I found that was a fall, it fell about one to one and a half metres, according to the incident investigation report. Um, so yeah, technically they both fall from height because fall from height is at any level um, with a, a possible potential to hurt or potential to cause harm. So they both were fall from height examples, technically. Um, but yeah, the one on the left, I think, uh, the, 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 the truck one, um, definitely. Uh, is there an investigation model you prefer to use? Yes, I do, Mark, Rob. Thank you for asking. Visit my website and you'll see it, Blue Line Investigation Model. Um, have a look at that. And if you're interested, um, hook up with me on LinkedIn or send me an email and I'll tell you a bit more about that. Um, and that's well, lots of thank yous. And I've got a, another question here from Ian Long. G'day, Longy. Um, not sure if he's still on the line, um, but how do you suggest we help middle managers who are often the ones making the decisions regardless of classifications understand and get that the incident investigation is all about what we can learn from it as compared to the other packs such as uh, such as KPIs, et cetera. Great question, Ian, and um, probably uh, you're just as well versed as anyone to answer that question. Um, I think it, it comes down to influencing them. I think it comes down to showing them the benefits of a, a HOP or a human organisational based approach um, and um, what the, the opportunities they get to learn. And I think uh, probably one of the best ways we can do that is to you know, give them a bit of uh, education on human organisational performance um, and, and maybe even uh, run a learning team with them. Um, and so let's not wait for a task. Let's not wait for an incident. Let's just say, on what's a task that you worry about um, unrelated to an incident? and uh, run a learning team or something like that on that. And I think that would, um, I think you'd get a great, uh, I think that would demonstrate, that'd be an actual practical demonstration of what you could achieve um, with no focus on an incident. And I think that's the best way. Um, as I said, I think, you know, to this approach is really going to need a long, no blame environment um, uh, to work. And I think you, you need to get your organisation down this safety um, one and two pathway about learning from things that go right um, to really have value here as well. 
okay. I think, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think that's that's about it, and we're on we're on the hour now, Mark. So, um, is there anything else you want to say? Oh, uh, look, thank you very much, everyone. Again, I want you to, everyone to keep safe. If you want to learn a little bit more, or you're interested uh, in this, look, contact me. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, my website's up there. Um, my phone number's there. Call me, text me. Um, if you're interested in learning more, uh, do that. Um, I really appreciate your time. I understand this um, might be a little bit uncomfortable for some people, um, but I think it's just—I think it's worth—I think it's worth the—I um, the, the, think it's worth having a crack at for sure. You got way more to gain than to lose. So, again, thank you, everyone. Thank you very much to Myosh uh, and yourself, Sarah, for putting this on today, and I hope everyone uh, got something out of it. Uh, yeah, we, we really we do appreciate your expertise and your time, Mark. So that's fantastic. Uh, the email, I'll also include something about the learning teams as well, which is a webinar we did a week or two ago and um, links to Mark's contact details. So thank you, everybody. Um, hopefully you can join us again soon. Okay, bye. Enjoy bye. Your day. Have a good day. Bye.